This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Scripture this morning is the Holy Gospel according to Luke 17, Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. A little story to begin uh, this morning. A story about a man named Samuel. Samuel was down in the dumps, and who could blame him? His landlord had ordered him out of the apartment, and he had nowhere to go. Suddenly, light dawned. He could live with his good friend Moshe. The thought brought Samuel much comfort, until he was assailed by another thought that said, What makes you so sure that Moshe will put you up at his place? Why wouldn't he? Samuel said to the thought. Somewhat heatedly. Gotta love this personal exchange here. Speaking with yourself, we've all done it. After all, it is I who found him the place he is living now, and it was also I who advanced him the money to pay his rent for the first six months. Surely the least he could do is put me up for a week or so when I'm in trouble. That settled the matter until after dinner, when he was once again assailed by the thought, suppose he were to refuse. Refuse, said Samuel. Why in God's name would he refuse? The man owes me everything he has. It is I who got him his job. It is I who introduced him to that lovely wife of his, who has borne him the three sons he glories in. Will he grudge me a room for a week? Impossible. Well, that settled the matter. Until he got to bed and found he couldn't sleep because the thought came back to him to say, but just suppose he were to refuse. What then? This was too much for Samuel. How the hell could he refuse? is temporizing now. If the man is alive today, it is because of me. I saved him from drowning when he was a kid. Will he be so ungrateful as to turn me out into the streets in the middle of winter? But the thought was persistent. Just suppose. Poor Samuel struggled with it as long as he could. Finally, he got out of bed around two in the morning, went over to where Moshe lived and kept his finger pressed against the doorbell button until Moshe, half asleep, opened the door and said in astonishment, Samuel, what is it? What brings you here in the middle of the night? 
Samuel was so angry by now, he couldn't keep himself from yelling, I'll tell you what brings me here at this hour of the night. If you think I'm going to ask you to put me up for even a single day, you're mistaken. I don't want to have anything to do with you, your house, your wife, or your family. To hell with you all. And with that, he turned on his heel and walked away. <laughs> well, it's easy to laugh at a story like this, but who of us at one time or another hasn't really imagined or perceived wrongs and allowed them to balloon to such an outlandish size that they're out of proportion with all reality? There's a word that might apply here, and that word is resentment. Brian Butchler writes, or Buckler writes, we might think of resentment as a storytelling passion because it constantly creates narratives about the goodness of the victim and the evilness of the offender. Right? Just like Samuel was doing in our story. I introduced him to his, to his wife. I saved him from drowning when he was a child. It was I who got him his job. I put up the money for his first number of months of rent but he might turn me away if I ask him for a favor. He's not even grateful for all I've done for him. And then the narrative continues to spin, right? Until it becomes out of control. And the storytelling passion of resentment can create a narrative that becomes reality in our minds. And of course, we see that happen with Samuel, right? So much so that he marches over there in the middle of the night, gives him a piece of his mind, marches away, and maybe ended the relationship. And Moshe has no idea what triggered any of it, right? Because it wasn't real. Well, have you ever done this? Have you ever had a whole conversation in your head about an interaction with someone? And you've started to imagine the worst about them and the best about yourself. And before you know it, you find yourself getting angry with them and feeling aggrieved. Well, what happens when we do that, right? A chasm grows and widens between ourselves and that person. Buchler says resentful people struggle to entertain any viewpoint which might originate outside of their pre-existing views, leading to increasingly distorted perceptions of both the offender and their real or imagined wrongdoing. Well, I'll be honest, I know I've been there at different points in my life, and I'm guessing that maybe you have too. And of course, in our story, of Samuel and Moshe, there wasn't even an actual wrongdoing that took place, right? Just a perceived or imagined slight. But what about when we've actually been hurt? When someone has done something to or against us? Well, that's where our fairly obscure text, gospel reading, comes in for us today. And on first read, right, it is a little bit cryptic. The disciples say, increase our faith. And Jesus goes on about uprooting mulberry trees and throwing them in the, in the sea. 
and then goes on about slaves just doing their job and not expecting special treatment for it. What's going on here? Well, it helps, as usual, to get a little bit of the wider context. And if we back up in this chapter just a couple of verses, we'll see in Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus said, Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, repent, says, I repent, you must forgive. And it's in response to this that the disciples say, increase our faith. Right? Because imagine that in the story that we heard earlier, that Moshe really does turn his friend Samuel away in his time of need. And he does it not just once, but multiple times. Right? Jesus is saying, even if someone hurts you seven times, wrongs you seven times in a single day, you must forgive them. Right? No wonder the disciples feel inadequate to such a task. If someone hurts us once ever, right? It could be really hard to forgive. Let alone, of course, seven times in one day. Because when we are hurt, we can find ourselves nursing anger toward that person. And Mark Nepo describes while, why, rather, it could be so hard to forgive someone in such a situation. He says, and this is from the Book of Awakening, he says, this is what has kept me from forgiveness. The feeling that all I've been through will evaporate if I don't relive it. That if those who have hurt me don't see what they've done, my suffering will have been for nothing. In this, the stone I throw in the lake knows more than I. Its ripples vanish. What it really comes down to is the clearness of heart to stop defining who I am by those who have hurt me and to take up the risk to love myself, to validate my own experience, pain and all, from the center out. As anyone who has been wronged can attest, in order to keep the fire for justice burning, we need to keep burning our wounds open as perpetual evidence. Living like this, it is impossible to heal. Living like this, we become our own version of Prometheus, having our innards eaten daily by some large bird of woundedness. Forgiveness has deeper rewards than excusing someone for how they have hurt us. The deeper healing comes in the exchange of our resentments for inner freedom. At last, the wound, even if never acknowledged by the other person, I think that's important here, the wound, even if never acknowledged by the other person, can heal and our life can continue. And so forgiveness in many ways is more about us than about the person who did the wrong toward us. One writer puts it this way, forgiveness doesn't excuse someone else's behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. And of course, forgiveness isn't about ignoring the hurt or the harm that was done, right? The very act of forgiveness 
acknowledges that a harm was done. But what is this business about uprooting a mulberry tree and throwing it into the sea? The more familiar rendering from Jesus that we might be familiar with in the Gospel of Mark or Matthew, when Jesus talks about having faith the size of a mustard seed, is that we could say to a mountain, right, um, be taken up and thrown into a sea, thrown into the sea. But in Luke's version, we have not a mountain, but a mulberry tree. And that's awfully small compared to a mountain. So maybe Jesus here is saying that forgiving someone should be easy. I don't think so. Because you see, a mulberry tree had deep, fast-growing roots. It was entrenched. And if you've ever tried to remove even a large weed from your yard, right? You know the hardest part of getting that plant out of the ground is when they have really deep roots. And sometimes it just wants to break off and the base and the roots remain. And so a mulberry tree's root system would spread far and deep. And a mulberry tree also had the connotation in the first century of death because its wood was dry and resistant to decay. It was often used in the making of coffins. And so we have something in this illustration that's firmly entrenched, difficult to remove, and that reminded one of death. Well, holding on to bitterness and resentment is also difficult to remove and can keep one from being fully alive. As Nepo said, refusing to forgive someone amounts to keeping our wound open. And so friends, is there someone that you can bring to mind that you are nursing bitterness toward? Someone in this moment that you kind of resent. Someone who did you wrong and it makes you angry to even think about that person. When we refuse to forgive, bitterness can take root in us. Remember our verses for reflection from Hebrews 12, which said, Pursue peace with everyone and see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Has any bitterness taken root in you? With just a little faith, Jesus says, We can uproot such resentments and cast them into the sea. We might think that's a strange sort of phrasing, right? With just a little bit of faith. Is he talking about faith? In what sense, right? Is he, how does faith help us forgive someone, right? Is sometimes we think of faith and we think about theological statements or doctrinal statements that we have to believe. Or we might even be thinking about faith in God here, but what if Jesus is calling us as we pursue Peace as we seek to forgive one another, to have faith in each other, to have faith in our fellow neighbor, our fellow human beings. Maybe that's what it takes to learn to forgive. 
Maya Angelou, one of the greatest poets of the last century, grew up facing prejudice, discrimination, and abuse as a poor black woman in the South. She was a childhood victim of rape and was shamed into silence. She knew what real hurt was. And yet she said this, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself to forgive. Forgive everybody. So despite facing more hurt and more hate and more pain than many of us will ever know, her ability to forgive and to let go of bitterness allowed her to find her voice and to write words like these. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by soulful cries? You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I'll rise. Out of the huts of history's shame, rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. I rise, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. It is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself to forgive. Forgive everybody. Amen. Maybe so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.